Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Close Talking. I am co-host Jack Rossiter-Munley. And I am co-host Connor McNair-Stratton. And today we are talking about the poem Waiting for the Twelfth by Kava Akbar. Very excited. We've been trying to do a poem by him for a long time, and then this poem came out in the September issue, I believe, of Poetry Magazine, and... Jack found it, sent it to me, was like, yeah, dude, talk about this poem on the podcast. And I was like, you're absolutely right. And here we are. Yeah, I was very excited uh, when I read it. Just, it was an interesting poem and the title was super evocative of the history of Islam. And it it deals a little bit with the, uh, I don't want to call it a prophecy, but with the belief in the 12th or the the understanding of what the return of the 12th imam might mean um there's a little explainer at the beginning of the poem it very succinctly explains a, a good deal of what the poem is uh dealing with but it's in italics at the beginning it says in shia islam the 12th imam is said to have disappeared in the ninth century it's believed his return at the end of the world will deliver order from the chaos Shia Islam, there's basically two main sects of Islam. There's Shia Islam and Sunni Islam. The difference in the two stems from their belief back from the passing of the Prophet Muhammad after he passed different beliefs in who should succeed him. And Shia Islam holds that Ali ibn Abi Taleb, his son-in-law, should have been the next in line and Sunni Islam, which is actually the more widely practiced form of Islam, it's about 80 to 90% of the world's Muslims are Sunni Muslims, believe that his father-in-law, Abu Bakr, was the appropriate successor. The successors were known as Imams, and the 12th Imam is the one who is, as this says, believed to have disappeared, and when he returns, he's like, the belief is basically that he's like sort of hanging out, waiting to come back, and that when he does, it's going to be pretty great. Uh, but also the end of the world. So this poem finds a speaker waiting for the 12th Imam who is waiting for the end of the world. And I think part of why I was drawn to this is because I had just read a study about the Sunni-Shia divide in Islam. And this doesn't deal with that specifically, but I think it was already on my mind. So just as an extra textual, why this poem happened to speak to me particularly and why poems speak to any of us. Sometimes something's going on in your life and they happen to extra resonate in this to me, felt like sort of a literary addition to some of what I was already thinking about in a more like, obviously not hard science, but more like, you know, geopolitical lens I had had earlier in the week. It was really a nice switch up to have this come in as a different way of thinking about the, you know, the lived experience of practicing Islam and not just thinking about it as a geopolitical concern. Yeah. And we had been meaning to do an Akbar poem for a while. He's he's on the up and up, I think. His first full-length book came out in September, actually the same month that this poem was published in Poetry, Calling a Wolf a Wolf, by published by Alice James Books, I think. And um, he was a 2016 Ruth Lilly Fellow, and his chapbook, Portrait of the Alcoholic, came out a few years ago by Sibling Rivalry Press. And since the book has come out. I've heard nothing but amazing things. And next trip to the bookstore, I will be looking for it for sure. Yeah, we've been excited to do uh, one of Akbar's poems and everything just kind of came together just right for this one. 
So yeah, uh, I'm, I'm gonna read the poem. Waiting for the 12th. No one ever brings up the wages of virtue, the cost of avoiding what you were built to do. Some men actually love their enemies. Remind me to tell you about them when you arrive. And when will that be again? I've already spiced the duck and hidden the sherry. Even grain has genes that say, drink this or bend there, so much like our own. I'm rubbing yogurt through my hair, getting ready for your return. I read old mail from my Baba Bazorg, the Farsi-like tea leaves or exotic blades. Years ago, he melted into the tautness of earth, like a pad of butter on turtle meat. The birch curled its tongue. I was full of credible fears. Today, I'm full of olives and smoke, sucking a fat red cigar and ashing on the good lace. I'm comfy, sleeping in a silk shoe, though my glasses are foggy, or maybe I just got perfume in my eye. Either way, I'll recognize you by your heartbeat. You'll recognize me by the green bird in my shirt pocket. If you hurry, I'll let you hold her. Her flightlessness will mean nothing. In fact, my whole house has been cleansed entirely of symbols. A strange call came from the West, and I understood it in this new language. I burnt away my candles and woke the sleeping spider resting its fangs against my hand. There will be nothing here to distract you from your work. Just some old pears browning in the kitchen and a glass vase of pink roses humming their little songs. So you, you were the one who found this. I'm curious, uh, you know, what, what are the things that struck you about or what do you... The very first thing that jumped out at me was all the different mentions of very specific food. Because it was all, it wasn't just specific, but it felt uh, sort of opulent, like a ceremonial feast kind of opulence. Particularly the image of I'm rubbing yogurt through my hair struck me as a food related item, but also like the different meats that are mentioned are spiced duck and turtle with all this butter on it. And it just sounds like pears in a vase, you know, it's like really luscious descriptions of food and gave it like, maybe it's the end of the world, but this is focusing on some of the, I don't know, not necessarily positive, but just the, the deeper, richer aspects of, of faith or of ritual. And there's this present past distinction that comes out a little bit in the middle, but the present moment is, as you say, opulent or decadent. And, you know, there's, in addition to the, the food, there's this great scene of today, I'm full of olives and smoke, sucking a fat red cigar and ashing on the good lace. I'm comfy as a snake sleeping in a silk shoe. Obviously, cigar has that relaxing, decadent thing. But the ashing, is it like an ashtray? It's like ashing on lace, which seems like a very expensive thing to just like put ash on. And it's also, it's the good lace. So mm -hmm. number one, that's like, whoa. Yeah. Um, but also it's the kind of, right? It's like, oh, you're really like, that's the good lace you're ashing on there, friend. Uh, but it's also the kind of fabric that you would only get out for a special occasion. So if you're relaxing yeah. back in maybe a family setting or something for a, an observance of some sort, you would have the good lace out 
to cover things up if you're hanging back having a cigar. Yeah, that little stretch of the poem is really drives home a lot of what I think I'm I'm sensing because it adds on to not just like a lot of food, but you've got the good lace, you're sucking a fat red cigar, there's uh, silk shoes, there's perfume in your eyes. Yeah, well, yeah, it's interesting because there's in that moment too, there's there's at least two different textures that feel like, and I, I'm not sure if this is the direction we want to start going in, but that sort of complicate the decadence that appears to be, or the relaxation, which A, from the start, it's interesting me to think of a purely opulent image waiting at the end of the world, or for the end of the world, as as you point out, but also the, the image is, I'm comfy as a snake sleeping in a silk shoe. The snake, I don't know, I mean, there's just all sorts of connotations, but I get a slight somewhat of a menacing connotation potentially or a sneaky one um, that sort of comes home when the sleeping spider resting his fangs appears later that's against the hand a two sleeping animals that have sort of dangerous potential then also this i find this very funny but it's you know i'm comfy as a snake sleeping in a silk shoe though my glasses are foggy or maybe I just got perfume in my eye. And there's kind of like this sense that the speaker, all of this decadence is contributing, you know, is hindering his perception. You know, he can't see maybe because of all the smoke or maybe the perfume, but it's also just, I don't know, it's just a, there's a nonchalance to it that's that's amusing. But that sort of texture of, of menace and also perception being hindered seems to complicate the decadence. I'm really glad you brought that up because I think that gets to the heart of part of what I really like about this poem and also speaks to a lot of the issues that contemporary America has with Islam. It's all about lack of ability to understand and perceive the reality. And those misperceptions are very dangerous. They are a serpent. They are, uh, you know, a spider resting its fangs against your hand. If you twitch the wrong way, it'll sink him in. And I think that's particularly interesting because of how the poem opens, because before it gets into this description, there's a direct address from the voice of the poem to some you. The first lines are, no one ever brings up the wages of virtue, the cost of avoiding everything which you were built to do. Some men actually love their enemies. Remind me to tell you about them when you arrive. And when will that be again? And then it gets into this description. So it's almost this brief address at the beginning to, I would have to say, probably the 12th Imam, and then this description. And the brief address at the beginning brings up the idea of enemies, the potential for that conflicting relationship to be transcended, but the sense that that's the exception, not the rule. Partially because of that at the beginning, when I first read that section, my whole house from my whole house has been cleansed entirely of symbols. A strange call came from the West and I understood it in this new language. I burnt away my candles and woke the sleeping spider resting his fangs against my hand. That whole section to me, and I have no idea if this was even passingly intentional, but for me, it sounded a lot like 9-11. Because if you're burning away candles, what do candles look like? And then uh, woke the sleeping spider resting his fangs against my hand is going to be the awakening of the United States to... Yeah, that's interesting. And so the, the strange call from the West is sort of the U.S. and the West's response to 9-11 in some ways. I also 
thought that there's the possibility it could be a lot of the radical ideologies that inspired the terrorists who carried out the 9-11 attacks and are sort of gone on to be their followers. They came from this guy who traveled to the West and then came back and had radical writings about his time there that, uh, you know, basically decried everything about uh, Western society and how it was all fallen and terrible and that the uh, the radical teachings and this perversion of contemporary Islam that has become what so many in the West now unfortunately associate with Islam uh, actually came from a young guy who traveled to the West and didn't didn't like it. So the strange call could even be his his writings. Yeah, that's interesting. And then yeah. what's the how do you read this new language? Because that's kind of interesting to me. This like the use of the word this is always a interesting moment in a poem because it's sort of pointing to something specific, but oftentimes it's pointing to something that hasn't sort of explicitly happened in the poem. So you have to sort of look outside to find out where it's pointing to. Yeah, I'm not really sure. And this connection that I made, I don't know that it really uh, leans into any sort of more holistic reading of the poem or or necessarily adds a whole lot. I don't really know. It could be new technologies. Uh, that's sort of the big hallmark of ISIS as a successor to Al-Qaeda. And even now, the way that Al-Qaeda is organized and trying to carry out a lot of its propaganda operations is through really effective use of uh, social media and the internet. And so again, that's sort of taking a strange call from the West and understanding it in a new language, because uh, it's using a lot of the technologies that are developed in the West or are most commonly uh, associated with the West and, and using them for, for different means. One thing too, we can go back to the beginning because I'm interested in that, but I'm also, I'm very curious about this Part, the if you hurry, which the you there, I think, is also to the 12th imam. I'll let you hold her, this bird in the shirt pocket. For flightlessness will mean nothing. In fact, my whole house has been cleansed entirely of symbols. My ears perk up whenever something like that happens in a poem, partly because I always, maybe this is my inclination as a reader, but I always get a kind of a meta vibe when things about symbols are referenced or something is being talked about meaning nothing. And, you know, poems, especially images, are always stretching to be symbolic of something, especially in a poem that, or in poems that have less space, you know, symbolism is very common. So, and I think especially in a poem that's dealing with religion, which also is a highly symbolic space, whatever the religion may be, to say that you're cleansing your house of symbols is sort of has a double impact. So I feel like that's, it's working on a couple levels and I'm still trying to tease it out. One is that I wonder if the attention to the food and that sort of opulence, but also just general sensuousness is sort of just trying to bring the poem into um, the imminent with the, with the A in the word, um, the sort of like the here and now rather than the transcendent, and, and trying to emphasize that, that those are in some ways valuable in and of themselves, which I think I like that reading at least on one level, especially because of the way the poem ends which is just on just sort of like an image for image sake, which almost has a kind of red wheelbarrow vibe where nothing to here to distract you from your work, 
just some old pears browning in the kitchen and a glass vase of pink roses humming their little songs. So that's kind of the image that we're left with, but also that the, the 12th Imam is left with, which is sort of a still life, basically, that is sort of somehow also capable of making its own music. But then the other level that I thought with the more meta level perhaps is, I don't know, I, I wonder if there's an anxiousness writing poems or poems that have are about religion and specifically Islam, which, which has the people have imposed so much Islamophobic weight onto things in a symbolic way. There's an anxiousness about words or things meaning more than they should or being symbolic of other things. I was thinking about just the, the total fucked up way that saying God is great in Arabic has become just like a metonym for like, I'm a terrorist, which is Homeland's fault, that fucked up show. Anyway, it's a lot of people's fault, but there's the that, Homeland you know, certainly didn't help. Yeah, um, I mean, anyway. At all. Well, I mean, just in terms yeah. of an indication of where society is on Islam, I'm reading a passage about candles and thinking about terrorism. Like that might not be there at all, but that's so much of the narrative that I can't help but having that connection as I read this poem. And it may be super, it may be way far left field from what Akbar intended. Yeah, because I wonder if we're both supposed to simultaneously read this symbolically, but then also not read it symbolically based on the way that the whole house has been cleansed entirely of symbols. And that could also speak to the fear of displaying symbols of Islam in your home. What is that? like the fear of what that would mean if you're bringing people over to your house and it looks like a Muslim house. Yeah. And so the only real symbol is this transient almost celebration. You get the sense of the creation of it through the food and it's an event that doesn't necessarily go on unendingly. Yeah, that's interesting. I was glad when you were bringing up the beginning. I think that line remind me to tell you about them when you arrive is such a great line because it's it's also like, it's sort of funny because because it's like imagining that the, the 12th Imam left, like disappeared in the ninth century. Surely there was a lot of, you know, turmoil in its own time. But, you know, all these hundreds of years have passed. And, you know, in some way, the speaker's like, yeah, you don't know. Things have gotten wild. Like, <laughs> people, people hate your ass. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, just like, there's that kind of like, let me tell you what you missed. Absolutely. Yeah. I also think it's interesting. The first almost sentence, it's no one ever brings up the wages of virtue, the cost of avoiding that which you were built to do. It's almost like a couplet if the lines were broken up differently. Number one, the wages of virtue, that avoiding what you were built to do is somehow virtuous. And then almost accusatory of the 12th Imam for not coming back and restoring justice and order out of the chaos sooner saying you're avoiding what you were built to do you were meant to leave and come back it is time to come back now everything is ready for you let's go uh, we've got ducks and turtles and letters from my grandpa and stuff like let's do this uh everything has gone to shit <laughs> i know i know i think that's such a, it's such a good way to start the poem I think it's interesting that it's followed up also with uh, some men actually love their enemies, because in that instance, 
I get the feeling that the speaker is almost bringing up his relationship with the 12th Imam and being like, I'm like, I think you're great, but I'm having a little bit of trouble with you right now. Yeah, that totally links up with that part. Remind me to tell you when you arrive. And, and then there's this great enjambment after and. And then the line is, when will that be again? It's very like full snark. I love when you can get snark into a poem. It's it's especially one that's filled with beautiful images because they don't often go hand in hand. One question I had about one of the lines that was puzzling me, but I think in a productive way, is it's it's shortly after that. So, and when will that be again? I've already spiced the duck and hidden the sherry. And then even grain has genes that say, drink this or bend there so much like our own. And I, I just realized that I think the phrase so much like our own, our own is referring to genes, I think so much like our genes so that humans have genes that say drink this or bend there. And then grain, I was thinking about, you know, obviously food, wheat, grain, but also potentially alcohol as a grain thing, thinking about the sherry. But I, I wasn't quite sure. It also stuck out to me. And I was sort of curious what your thoughts on it were as well. I, my main thought was just it's a connection between the human and the natural world and that the whole world is waiting for the 12th in some sense. And it's not just humans, but grain itself can be alive in some ways and has uh, not humanity, but it has aspects of it that connect it to humans and that we are all connected to the world itself in some way. But what I think complicates it and helps it stick out a little bit is that it doesn't necessarily connect with what's on either side of it because it's both the uh, the items on either side are about like food and food in relation to the individual, what the individual is either prepared or what the individual is putting in their hair. I'm wondering if rubbing yogurt in hair. Well, I Googled it and it was a, a way to use for like hair growth. People use it for healthy hair. So it's like a good practice. That's exactly where I was going to go with my supposition is that it didn't sound like it was necessarily religious, but it's the kind of thing you would do if you were preparing for a major event and you wanted your hair to be extra lustrous. <laughs> Get that good shine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So two two thoughts. One is about this specific thing. I think that's that's right about the connection between the natural and the human. I also started thinking about the sort of command nature of the genes that the genes are saying, drink this or bend there. So even natural things have make people do stuff, even as humans make people do stuff. I'm imagining the speaker having hidden the sherry, spiced the duck, there's a sense of preparing. This preparing, in a way, also makes me think that they've, you know, they've been not specifically, but kind of commanded to prepare in this way for this kind of event, perhaps. That there's a response to, you know, either like tradition or just an expectation. Because it's interesting because drink this is very specific and maybe about the sherry or whatever, but bend there has, especially it's in jammed after the word bend, seems to have a more abstract meaning. Certainly it could refer to a body bending or bowing or kneeling or whatever, but it also could be just like, do what I want you to do, like bend to my will kind of thing. And so so I, I wonder if there's an element of the speaker who's sort of bent himself 
to wait for this person in this particular way, then also thinking um, even sort of grain or the natural world has this way of imposing itself on me to make me do certain things. I definitely, with Bend, I really like that. And with Bend, I went in the direction of a body because I was thinking of the five times daily prayer in Islam, which does involve the bending and bowing of a body. Uh, and that was the image it immediately conjured for me, especially because it said so much like our own. In that instance, it felt like our own was speaking about those who are, are practicing Islam. Yeah, that's interesting. The other thought, too, is this is, and this might be going another direction, is, but I feel like one way that this poem is slightly difficult, but also compelling, is the way that the sentences sort of move. And I think it's also a way that's fairly representative of, of a certain strain of contemporary poetry, where there's a series of, of sentences that come after each other but aren't specifically linked. It's just like sentence, 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 or there's like pretending to link it, but it's not actually sort of linked in a clear way. Some, some examples of this, you know, I've already spiced the duck and hidden the cherry, so that's one sentence. And then even grain has genes that say drink this or bend there. So the even part makes us think that it's connected, but the topic is, is at least on the face of it, a total tangent. And, and this, I think, goes without the whole poem, but I think is really clear at the end. In fact, my whole house has been cleansed entirely of symbols. Then that's a statement. Then a strange call came from the West and I understood it in this new language. So the call from the West isn't related necessarily or in a syntactic way to the cleansing of symbols. And then after this new language, I burnt away my candles and woke the sleeping spider resting his fangs against my hand. That's another just action that the speaker's doing, not specifically related to understanding the language. Then again, after against my hand, there will be nothing here to distract you from your work. And then it sort of continues. But there will be as another sort of beginning of a new statement that's just sort of coming sequentially rather than like like as a consequence. So that has a sort of associative element. And I think that the other way stylistically that Akbar and other poets, I think, make that work, at least on a sort of rhetorical or rhythmic level, is just very heavy enjambments that combine the end of the statement with the beginning of the statement. So that, that's sort of very common in this poem. So like sucking a fat red cigar and ashing on then the next line is the good lace, which ends that statement. And then the the line has a tab indent and then I'm comfy, which begins the next stanza. Similarly, the tautness of earth, like a pad of butter on. And then the next line is turtle meat, which ends that. And then the birch is on that line, curled its tongue, which is a totally new statement. So that way the eye, as it's reading it, connects the sentences before it sort of realizes that it's a totally new sentence. I'm not exactly, I haven't quite figured out the way that that form is working with the content, but I think it makes all of these moments that just feel just adjacent to what comes before and after. I have two thoughts now that you bring this up, and I'm really glad you did, because it is something that really stands out about this poem. As you mentioned, there's a lot of poets who do this sort of thing, but I think it really does stand out in this one. The first is just for my experience of reading it, it kept the language consistently surprising, which was really cool. And I think 
connecting to the idea of the 12th Imam returning, it's going to be a surprise whenever it happens. The other part that I thought was interesting is that it makes essentially the poem, as mentioned, goes a lot of different places. It has a lot of different images in it. But the language, for the most part, is pretty simple. And the different objects and experiences that it provides are usually pretty straightforward in how they're explained. They're very evocatively phrased, but the the words used, other than uh, Baba Bazorg, which is grandfather, are not going to be alien to most readers. And in fact, the images they conjure are not going to be like challenging images. The juxtapositions of them are challenging. But I think it's interesting that the little italicized note mentions that the return of the imam at the end of the world will deliver order from the chaos, because it feels like this poem is the chaos and is conveying that not only in the juxtaposition of all the different images, but in how it is presenting them on the page. It's a chaotic presentation, very purposeful. It doesn't feel like it's not well-planned by the poet, but it feels like it has been put down in a way to highlight how chaotically presented these different sentences could be. Because it could just be written out like a block of text and it wouldn't be bad, but it would lose a big element of what makes this poem particularly special, I think. One other part that I just really love is... I just think it's beautiful. So the, I read old mail from my Baba Bazorg, like the Farsi, like tea leaves or exotic blades. And then this part, years ago, he melted into the tautness of earth, like a pad of butter on turtle meat, which is just like a great description of someone passing away. And the way that the line breaks, so years line break ago he melted into the tautness that's sort of the end of the stanza and you don't really know what's coming after it uh and then of earth like a pad of butter on turtle meat which is so great because melted works obviously with the butter melting but he delays the completion of the simile between stanzas and so you have the melt before you have the butter which i like lot. Yeah. And also it's interesting to bring that death of the grandfather into the image connotation of all of the other like sensuous meats and smells that the speaker is sort of with today. You know, the the spiced duck feels in the same line as the butter on the turtle meat, as you mentioned. And so to make a simile that the passing of his grandfather is sort of like this, it's very interesting. I'm not quite sure what that means, except for perhaps that the past is sort of in the present and in the present in terms of sensuous or in terms of or the food. And that also does kind of lead into because right after that, it's the birch curled its tongue. And then I was full of credible fears. Today, I'm full of olives and smoke. And the I was full of credible fears is one of the few moments is just a little like past tense moment, which is kind of looped into this present scene. Also, I love credible fears is such a great phrase because it's a legal term for people seeking asylum, which they can do if they have a credible fear that if they return back to where they came from, that they will be harmed or killed in some way if they have a credible fear of that. And so... He's sort of, I think, taking that and like abstracting it outward that I was full of all of these credible fears. I'm glad that you you pointed out that section because it really is pretty amazing. Uh, and also specifically the credible fears that follows it up because it also, I realized part of why I ended up in the in the 9-11 headspace 
later on, I think, is because of the inclusion of credible fears, which sounds like credible threats, which is a term used in the intelligence community. And it's also another instance of the past tense when he describes, I burnt away my candles and woke the sleeping spider, because the poem does sort of slip between present and past very freely, which is neat. Should we read it again? I think we should read it again. Waiting for the 12th. No one ever brings up the wages of virtue, the cost of avoiding that which you were built to do. Some men actually love their enemies. Remind me to tell you about them when you arrive. And when will that be again? I've already spiced the duck and hidden the sherry. Even grain has genes that say, drink this or bend. They're so much like our own. I'm rubbing yogurt through my hair, getting ready for your return. I read old mail from my Baba Bazorg, the Farsi-like tea leaves or exotic blades. Years ago, he melted into the tautness of earth like a pad of butter on turtle meat. The birch curled its tongue. I was full of credible fears. Today, I'm full of olives and smoke, sucking on a fat red cigar and ashing on the good lace. I'm comfy as a snake, sleeping in a silk shoe, though my glasses are foggy, or maybe I just got perfume in my eye. Either way, I'll recognize you by your heartbeat. You'll recognize me by the green bird in my shirt pocket. If you hurry, I'll let you hold her. Her flightlessness will mean nothing. In fact, my whole house has been cleansed entirely of symbols. A strange call came from the West, and I understood it in this new language. I burnt away my candles and woke the sleeping spider resting his fangs against my hand. There will be nothing here to distract you from your work. Just some old pears, browning in the kitchen in a glass vase of pink roses, humming their little songs. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this, please write a review on iTunes. And you can keep up with us and our news and other poetry book-related news at facebook.com slash close talking or on Twitter at close talking. You can also follow me, Connor McNamara Stratton, at Hot Sauce Boxed, or Jack Rossiter Munley, at Jack Rossiter Munn. If you have another reading of one of the poems we've discussed or think we got something wrong, please let us know. Shoot us an email at close talking poetry at gmail.com.